Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and we're finishing off Launch Week with a really exciting guest. He's the co-founder of the Relay FM Podcast Network and host of way too many shows to list here. And he's the co-creator of the Theme System Journal through his new brand, CortexMerch.com. Welcome to the show, Mike Hurley. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So if everything goes as planned, uh, this episode is going to cap off a full week of daily episodes and uh, hopefully massive success, fame and fortune, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, uh, naturally. Right. Yeah. That's the only natural conclusion. The easy part about launching something is the inevitable success that you'll receive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm really excited to end it with you specifically because... While I'm an app developer, and probably most of the people listening are app developers, and everybody I've interviewed so far is an app developer or app designer, um, I think one of the things I really want to do with the show is talk to people outside of our field, because I think mm-hmm. there's a whole lot to learn. And mm-hmm. uh, with you particularly, you're, you know, you've launched a bunch of different things, uh, most notably like podcasts and a whole business around podcasts, but you also live in sort of the tech sphere. And so... You're sort of a nice way to sort of bridge that gap between you understand our world pretty well, but I think there's still a lot we can learn from you and sort of uh, how your business operates. Yes, I, I have a lot of empathy for app designers, but also a lot of like desire to push them. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're far enough away that you can make requests uh, without sort of having to think too hard through what's behind that request. I don't need to worry about how long it's going to take. Right. I just know what I want. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I think, I mean, that, not to get way off into the weeds right away, but uh, one of the things like on our teams at my job, we have uh, QAs, like testers. Mm-hmm. And some QAs are really technical and some are really not technical. And I think the ones that are not technical feel like they're supposed to be. But it's actually really helpful to have people who don't think the way that a developer thinks because they'll make requests that a developer would mm-hmm. would naturally think is too hard to even like entertain or even like um a little thing where you're like oh i know why that's happening so it's not a problem right like you brush it off yes. because it's like this frequent bug but it would be better if you could fix it you know right so. Well, and developers uh, use things differently than non-developers, I've noticed. Like, we type into things differently because we don't want to do the thing that we know can cause a bug or whatever. Sure. But it's all subconscious. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so to to start things out here on Launched, uh, we like to get the conversational juices flowing with a little icebreaker question. This is a not-so-subtle uh, segment stolen from your podcast Upgrade with your way-better-named hashtag this Snell Talk. <laughs> hashtag Charlie Talk is yeah. happening right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, except I want to hear from you. So uh, I've asked a bunch of people. Obviously, we don't have listeners yet because I haven't launched this show yet, but mm-hmm. I have asked people on Twitter and have gotten quite a few good questions. And so today's is from Micah Bays, and he asks, what is your favorite smell and why? Oh, man, that's good. Um Okay, I don't know if it's favorite, but I am one of the uh, gasoline smell people. Oh, man. You know, like, I like the smell of gasoline. That's, that, my wife is the same way, and it, mm. it was always, like, a really weird concept to me, because I didn't know anybody like that before. Yeah, I'm a gasoline person. Do you, now, do you call it gasoline in the UK, or is this part of your Americanization? No, no, I'm, I am, 
<laughs> I'm I'm doing what I usually do. I'm I'm catering to the probable American audience. Petrol, <laughs> petrol's petrol. the word. But okay, you know, I'm gonna go with gasoline. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so if any of you have questions that you want to ask any of our guests on the show, you can tweet it at me at uh, either at underscore Chucky C or at launched FM. And I don't really have a cool uh, hashtag because icebreaker is not really unique enough. So mm. eventually I'll think of something for that. Or you could just use that hashtag and just steal all the icebreaker questions that people are just tweeting out randomly, you know? Holy cow, that's a really good idea. But then you'll probably end up going into like a, uh, you end up going into some weird business hole at that point, right? <laughs> it's just that's be probably true. Thing. <laughs> yeah, but but then, uh, you know, if nobody actually listens to the show and I don't actually get any, I cannot be lying whenever I say... Very true. Uh, listener at whatever Twitter handle name says. Or there just like Twitter user. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> user daily inspiration says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like some brand or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, actually, I'm just going to do that. So, just you can just tweet. You can tweet at me, but you can also just include the hashtag icebreaker and uh, I'll scoop those up as well. So, there you go. I wish you the best of luck in finding the relevant tweets. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll uh, <laughs> I'll take that out once I like search it and see what actually comes up. Oh, my God. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, I bet there and are. There's a lot of just videos of ice being broken by uh, boats. So... Oh, yeah. I guess that like has a real meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't think about that. <laughs> All right. So, let's actually get into uh, why you're here. So, mm-hmm. before we get into um, your actual stuff that you've launched, I kind of want to get a quick background for the rare case of somebody who's listening to this who doesn't actually know who you are already. Mm-hmm. So, um, just kind of a, a quick rundown. Where are you from? Do you have any sort of formal education related to your fields or creative work mm. and what was your career situation like before becoming a podcaster business owner so i am now uh, born and raised and still uh london england um grew up in east london i now don't live in east london but still in london um i also spent some time out of london as well but always in england i don't have any higher education as it's called here. So I didn't go to university. I didn't go to, so I went to what's called college in the UK, which is uh, education from the age of 16 to 18. When I went to school, you could leave at 16. You can't do that anymore. You have to choose something to take you until you're 18 here in the UK. But uh, I did what we call a levels, which is what is known as college here before university. Um, At my a level uh, subjects, I did choose media studies um, so that is the only type of education I have, which is even closely related to what I do now, but it had nothing to do with what I do now, but it's the only thing that's close. I mean, you know, we used to just study types of media, right? Like we'd watch film, like do right, like film right. study and stuff like that. Um, we made music videos, like there was no, there was no spoken word component as a part of that, but it would be the closest thing that was akin to what I do now. Um, at the age of 18, I, apply for universities i got into universities but then decided i wanted to change what i was doing like what would be called your major right i i applied to do english literature and remembered that i don't like to read books realized (laughs) that's obviously a stupid idea and then wanted to change to media studies but uh, I couldn't get accepted by any university that I applied for to change my major that late. 
Um, the only one that would allow me to do it was called the University of Westminster, which is based in London. And if I went to university, I wanted to leave home. I didn't want to stay at home. And I would have been inside of the area in which I would have had to stay at home, right? They wouldn't give me any kind of uh, grants or uh, benefit to stay in student halls. So right. it wouldn't have, that's not what I wanted to do. So I got a job, which was supposed to be for a year, and then I would apply again for university a year later, uh, working at a bank. Like I was opening bank accounts, dealing with customer queries, that kind of thing. Uh, and do you know what a job gets you, Charlie? It gets you money. And do you know what money <laughs> does? It makes you not want to stop getting the money. So once I had a job, I didn't want to go back to university. So, and plus I was, I enjoyed my job and I could see a career path for me going through that so i basically worked my way up through the system there uh got to a management level at 21 oh man and it was a mis- huge mistake um i hated being a manager in that environment in like a physical location looking after the needs of all of these people um that mostly mostly not completely but mostly didn't care about their jobs like we worked in sales right like banking is like sales now but nobody that works in the bank wants to do any sales they just want to <laughs> do what the customers are asking them to do and so it's very hard to motivate non-sales people to meet sales targets ah uh, like you're pushing certain products or whatever yeah yeah when the customer's in there to open a checking account or deposit a check or something like that. Yep. And there was no incentivization for the staff members either because of the recession, right? Oh, yeah. Banking rules had to change. Like, you couldn't just give people cash bonuses for convincing other people to take out loans anymore. Like, that was what it was like when I started. But then by the time I got to management, we rightly changed, all the banking changed those policies. So then you were trying to convince people to sell things about incentivizing them, which Uh, doesn't work. That is an interesting time to work in banking, though. It was terrible. Yeah. uh, Honestly. (laughs) Interesting is the word that I use as someone who didn't have to live through it. (laughs) Yeah. I realized I had to get out of it. Um, And because I worked for one of the largest banks in the world, there were lots of opportunities inside of the company. And I found a job available in a direct marketing team, um, which is mail and email marketing, like physical and email marketing. They were moving a team from an upper part of England to London. So they had 13 uh, jobs to fill. So even though I had literally no marketing training, uh, but at this time I was podcasting, I was selling ads, I was writing advertising copy for those shows. I was able to use my knowledge of the bank and its products combined with my extracurricular activities to get a job interview, get that job. And I was working in the head office at of the bank doing uh, direct marketing for a couple of years um, until I ultimately left to uh, pursue my podcasting dreams. So I don't want to let that go. So you did you use the fact that you were sort of doing podcasting on the side as a side hobby? Did you use that? as a way to try and get that job? Like you actually brought that up. It was the only way I would have gotten that job was to be able, in my opinion, was to be able to show that I had a creative mind. Um, So I used it. Yeah. See, that's cool. Cause I feel like that's one of those things about podcasts in particular, because it's kind of cool to like make fun of people for starting a podcast right now, because 
you know, it's not like you're going to get rich quick or anything. And that's what everybody thinks everybody's trying to do. But I think there's so much value to be learned in kind of like it used to be, or I guess still is for like starting a band or something. Well, even more, like even like closer to the industry that you're talking to, starting a blog. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when I started podcasting in 2010, the thing you did was start a blog, but I'm just, I just don't enjoy writing. Because I think one of the reasons that I've been able to find the success that I have have now is because I've been doing this for 10 years. Like I started tech podcasting when it wasn't that popular, right? Like right. I was in just before the boom in our community. So I was able to kind of make a path for myself and a name for myself because there wasn't a lot of option then. And so it was, it was easier to get through, like to cut through the noise um, so because, you know, but back in 2010, everyone was starting blogs and email newsletters. Like that was the thing you did. And podcasting wasn't really, a th- it was like something people consumed, but wasn't something that a lot of people were actively doing, you know? Right. It was like, a, it was just like a side hobby for people. It wasn't, uh, this like massive business sort of growing trend thing that it is now. Yeah, like, I mean, you, when I was starting out, like, I was listening to a lot of Twitch shows and I was listening to 5x5 five five shows and stuff. But bear in mind, like, Hypercritical started in 2011. Yeah. Right? So, like, th- those shows, like, they, you know, I kind of got into this at a time when a lot of what we consider to be, like, the classic tech shows didn't even exist. Like, Build and Analyze was late 2011, early 2012, right? Like, Marco's show um, on 5x5 with Dan Benjamin and Hypergirl John Syracuse's show with Dan Benjamin. And they all, you know, so obviously Dan was, like, in the same mind space as me of, like, this is a really great medium that could be really interesting, he was much more successful than me at that time, right? Because he had a background in it. I think him and John Gruber had done the talk show before then, like just as an independent thing before 5 by 5 And he had much more connections than I did. But it's kind of the point of like, you think back to what are like the classics, you know, like <laughs> if you would call them that in our industry, I was there then. And that's how I think I've, because of the tenure that I've had, that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am now i think yeah that makes sense and like it's funny because in my head i do consider those classics because Mm -hmm. my sort of introduction into the tech podcast world was through relay fm like right at the start wow yeah i know (laughs) i I struggle to think about that now like i don't i know that there are people that have this i don't hear that very often but like that's so wild for me to even think about that because like I was just looking it up. Twit started in 2005 and I was listening then, right? So, like, to me, that's like, well, that is the beginning. And any of you found Twit or you found 5 by 5 to think that there are people that find out about all of this stuff because of our company is, like, it just doesn't seem right to me now. Like, it doesn't. It's like, but, but there were so many more that came before. <laughs> I'm curious, too, if it's a similar thing before the ones that you think of as the beginning, too. Probably. Well... Not Twit because that was the first show. Like, you know, I can think people people forget this. Like, you know, Leo Laporte created this medium, right? Like, there were there were people doing it before 
like um what was, is it uh what is the guy's i mean we're going like deep now into the into the into podcasting in general um but like he is effectively right there at the very beginning and like i'm trying to think what was that oh man if i could remember that guy's name adam curry adam curry adam curry like between adam curry and, and leo laporte they basically created what we think of as podcasting today and especially tech podcasting like none of this would exist without the work that twit did um so you know i i look at i look at them and i look at i look at like leo specifically because he was the only one around that i was listening to like running a network then like there were a bunch of independent shows that i enjoyed but like he was someone that i looked to early on as like i want to do that um so that's kind of where where i started i think so if if I were to like sort of grossly oversimplify your career, mm-hmm. I think of there being like three sort of major types of launches. Because yeah, there were three acts. Three acts. Oh, okay, interesting. So that's how you kind of think of it too. I, I wonder yeah. if mine are similar. So to me, there's kind of uh, podcasts themselves. So you've launched mm-hmm. dozens. Uh, I I don't even have any idea how many podcasts at this point that you've launched over the years. But you've launched a whole bunch of individual ones, and then you launched an entire podcast network uh, with Relay FM. And I think you had one before that. Is that right? I did, yeah. There was a, I ran a network called 70 Decibels, um, uh, which was which merged into 5x5. And I worked to 5x5 for a number of years before launching Relay FM. Okay, that makes sense. And then uh, the third one is sort of the one that's starting right now, which is your your foray into physical goods with uh, mm. CortexMerch.com, mm-hmm. as it's known. CortexMerch.com. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I kind of want to talk through those three things, but let's start out with yep. podcasts themselves because that's probably the where the bulk of things that we can sort of mm-hmm. steal knowledge out of your brain uh, is going to exist. So kind of to start things off, how important do you think the sort of initial launch of a podcast even is? Like with apps, launch day is sort of an opportunity to make a whole bunch of noise and jumpstart your sort of word of mouth marketing, especially if you don't already have a following or anything. And then if you're paid up front, that's where you get like a huge chunk of your sales, at least, you know, for the first year, it's probably the bulk of it came from the first week or whatever. Is that really the case with podcasts? Or do you think the actual launch itself isn't really that important compared to sort of the continued growth? I think it greatly depends on who you were before and what type of show you're making. So if you are somebody who has an existing audience, which you are confident that if you create anything, people will pay attention to it, then episode one is really important because you have to capture people's minds and imaginations. And, you know, I've seen this, like we we think we call this like the episode one drop off. Okay. People that listen to the first episode of a show and then like, no, nah, this isn't for me. So like, you know, whenever you launch a podcast and you, I guess you have this in your future, uh, whenever you launch a <laughs> podcast, get ready for episode two to very possibly have a smaller audience in episode one. Now, because you are doing an interview based podcast, you can really pay attention to none of this because it's all going to depend on the person a lot of the time. Right. Like this is like, this is like appendix B sub clause two. If you have guests <laughs> on every episode, it's going to differ every episode. Um, but so, you know, like you, you, if you have an existing audience, it's really important because people will be there immediately. Right. And you have to make the episode, the first episode good enough to make them stay. If you don't have an existing audience and your show is not 
required to listen to from episode one, then don't worry about it. Like you can uh, you can practice in public. Like I think of that. Like my first year or two podcasting, I was just practicing in public. Like there was a very very tiny audience, and I was able to get better with a small amount of people listening and giving me feedback. And I didn't have to worry too much about making things perfect because I was doing a show that was tied to news. So the idea of somebody going back and listening to episode one wasn't really a thing. But if you have something that's got a narrative to it, but you need to start at the beginning, then that makes it very important also. Yeah, that's true. But if you are someone who's doing a show where, one, you don't have an audience of your own that is significant, and two, it is not required for you to uh, have somebody go back to episode one and listen in order, then don't worry about the launch too much because the plan is to grow over time. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's sort of kind of what I did. So I've had a podcast Mm -hmm. I've been doing with a friend, which is sort of the most stereotypical millennial podcast. It's like a hello internet kind of two dudes talking thing. Yeah. And it, it was sort of a similar deal where it was like, I'm just learning in public. And the the whole goal of it really was to learn about audio production and all this stuff. And really it didn't grow. Like it got like a little core audience, which was fun. And we kind of maintained that throughout and it never grew into anything. And that was totally fine. So it's probably important to understand that it very likely probably won't grow to anything significant anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. But by doing that, and we did that for like two years, one, I learned how to get very good at editing and editing fast. Such is important. Yeah. And then the other thing was it made me confident talking into a microphone and hearing my own voice and, you know, what recording and all that looked like, which ended up being really helpful when I launched my app because I could sort of put out a call and say, hey, I can guest on podcasts and a bunch of people invited me on and it sort of helped build a little bit of a reputation within at least the developer community, which I think, you know, I had zero following or anything like that before so anything i could do was helpful and kind of like what you were saying by doing something way early on even though you weren't a big deal you sort of built up this uh skill set that you could utilize earlier when you had the opportunity to yeah i think like many like all creative endeavors really practice is good you know practice will make perfect or practice will make better at least you know and I think it is important to do that in podcasting. Like if it's something you really want to do, I would strongly encourage that somebody's first endeavor into this be something that is relaxed and, and not a ton of work. So you can get a feel for if you even enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to get right if you want to get it right. And it can take a lot of work and a lot of time. I mean, I'm still learning and I'm still not where I want to be with some of the stuff that I do. Like it it is a continually evolving, changing thing from an, even like a taste perspective. Like what is the right way to edit in 2020, you know? Right. Like how raw should it sound or how mm-hmm. clean or edited or whatever. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So whenever you guys uh, do release a show on relay or, or, you know, off of relay, if somebody's doing that, do you have like, sort of a consistent strategy for how you do that like it seems like at least from my perspective generally you kind of don't talk about it and then there's a sort of surprise launch Mm -hmm. 
where it just kind of drops and then that's where all the noise sort of happens. Is that an intentional thing? Do you sometimes do like pre-release hype or anything like that? By and large, our method is to just drop it, right? And the reason we do this was originally solved, like originally created out of a technology necessity. So if you're launching a podcast, you're like, hey, we've got a show coming. The best thing to do is give people an option to subscribe right now because otherwise you've created a bunch of noise with nothing to give, right? And the only time we ever did that was when we actually announced the launch of our company. We were like, this is us. These are the shows that we're going to have. We'll see you next week, right? Or or a month, or I don't even remember how often, how like far in advance it was. And then we were able to make a bigger splash on day one, but that was because we had like five shows to promote. Like we were able to, to make a big song and dance about it. But with a new show that we'll create now, like leading up to like a couple of years ago, it would kind of be like, you would say, we have a new show coming. We'll be back in a week and then people see it and then they might ignore it. But with the way that we launch shows, we're like, bang, new show, episode one, subscribe now. And you just get people all in one, right? The call to action is clear. Now, these days, trailers have become a thing. Um, yeah, which, trailers for trailers. Right, but like trailers were a thing that was now supported in a lot of podcast feed specifications, a lot of apps support them. And it's like a way to announce it, give people something, and then start with the first episode at a later date. That's fine, um, but I, my personal tastes are like, if you're going to make a big noise about it, then give people the first episode immediately. Um, which is something that we have just gotten very good at, like in the sense of like, that is just our process. We have a process. There have been times where we have like given Relay FM members a sneak peek at a show, but that's typically the decision made by the host, like that they want to do that because maybe they want to get feedback or something on their show before they go for the first episode. Right. But, but that's been very rare. Most of the time we are just, here's a new show. Like we just, hit it and i think that it could be interesting maybe in the future to try out the trailers approach but as of right now i don't know why we would do that so i will say like one kind of like very behind the scenesy thing one of the reasons that people have trailers is because podcasts require submission in apple podcast yep so you have to like upload something that takes multiple days and who knows when it's going to come in now, I don't want to get like super inside baseball here, but we have the ability to publish immediately. So we don't have to wait for the manual submission um, because we're a large enough publisher. We have a ton of like contracts and stuff like we can just launch a show. Ah, That makes sense. Which is a thing that can happen. But this is like, you know, I don't even know if they offer that anymore. But we've been doing this for so long. But yeah, so we're able to just launch a show immediately, which is one of the reasons we don't have to do the trailer thing. That makes sense. Oh, but actually as well, Apple Podcasts have changed their process as well, so more people can do what we do. You can now uh, kind of like hold for developer release. So you can submit a show to Apple Podcasts and it can approve it, but not set it live yet. So then you can do it on your own terms. Oh, yeah. I think I did see that whenever I was setting this one up. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that is a, I think, much needed benefit and that, that Apple have put into Apple Podcasts for large companies or large people to create programs that they want to be put out on certain dates without having to go for the trailer route. Right. 
that definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. I know Matthew Casanelli, I think, was the one who recommended that I do a, I guess trailer is the word. I wasn't really using that, but that makes more sense for this show mm-hmm. as sort of a way to kind of like what you're saying, sort of tease out any issues with uh, with getting it into the uh, Apple Podcasts directory. And it ended up being really helpful, not only just because, you know, there's a bunch of people who are presumably subscribed right now, but also mm-hmm. uh, there was a couple like small issues with certain podcast players with how it indexed things. Yep. And I could make a couple little tweaks. Yep. So it did end up being helpful. Um, but like for you guys, y- you've probably run into a huge portion of the problems that can be run into whenever launching something. Mm-hmm. Whereas for, for most of us, it's like our first or second time doing it. So it might be more yeah. helpful. We have it, you know, it's on a fine art at this point. Right. <laughs> you know, like we've done it. I mean, I don't even know how many podcasts we've launched at Relay FM. Uh, many, right? Like it's, there's a lot. We have a lot of shows. I think I can actually, is it possible for me to even know this? Like I'm looking in our back end system, like how many shows in total have there been? I have no idea. Um. Well, you have, at least on your website, you have like a lot of them marked as retired. Yeah, I think there's been a total of like 45 to 50 things that have existed, you know, and these can be, we do have some shows that were never Relay FM shows, but they were shows hosted by Relay FM hosts of which we have the back catalogs, you know? Right, right. Um, So we have a lot, we have a lot of stuff going on. So how do you guys pick like the day of the week or the time that you release episodes? Because it seems like most of them are different. Most of the times is 10 a.m. Eastern, but it can, that's when we would ideally like to do it. It's just like a nice time. You hit a lot of time zones at 10 a.m. Eastern. You know, like most of our typical markets are awake, right? Yeah, and so that makes sense. like a good time for us. The day, it doesn't, we, there's no, there's no planning to that. It's typically like, well, it's a few things. One, maybe it's the day of the week that the show is going to be out on, which is just chosen by the host, right? Like this, what day do you want your show to come out on? Typically, like do you want it to be every Wednesday, every Friday, every Sunday? So they may just release on that day or there can be some inciting event as to why a show might release on the day that it releases. But we don't, we don't make any particular recommendations unless asked, but even then we're kind of just like, well, what about this day? We we don't have a lot published on this day. Maybe it will stay on the website for a little bit longer before getting pushed off by another show. But we don't really have any... I mean, you know, we could probably work out some kind of metric, but, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, like it, that kind of thing is is not... It's not interesting enough to me, and I don't think it would have enough of an impact to a show's success, like if it launched on Wednesday rather than Friday. Um, I think that there are many more things that contribute to a show's success that are unaffected by the day of the week that the first episode goes live, you know? Right. Spending that extra time, you know, making the icon better or whatever mm-hmm. is probably mm-hmm. has a much bigger impact. Yeah, exactly. And then before we move on from podcasts themselves, a extremely selfish question. Uh, you have run at least one like interview show with Inquisitive, right? Yeah, which was, okay, so Inquisitive was born from two other shows that were interview-based. So, I was doing a weekly interview show. Oh. Well, like, I did a show that had a guest every week, I should say, from probably, like, 2000 and maybe late 2010, 2011, until 2015, every Wednesday. Holy cow. <laughs> 
I mean, I've what I have five episodes that I've recorded or am recording, and then mm-hmm. only a couple more in the wings. And I'm already feeling the like, holy cow, like scheduling and everything is intense. Yeah, I you wish you the very best of luck in your <laughs> endeavors. Yeah, the reason I don't do interview shows anymore is because of the the scheduling. It's, yeah. it's difficult um, to to schedule people, uh, and that is like the main reason that I ended up moving away from guest-based shows. There are technical things which can occur when you're working with a large group of people, right? Like a large pool of people because does this person have a good microphone Mm -hmm. or not? Like, are they good at recording? Do they have typical failures? But like the main thing for me was just trying to find people to record with and like the times and the dates and trying to make sure I had a good balance of people was, was really, it became very difficult as my responsibilities increased. It was way easier for me to do that when I had less commitment of my time in general, um, because I had to be a little bit more flexible and I'm not, I'm just can't be as flexible anymore. So I, I don't do that. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's the exact reason why I'm breaking all of the conventional wisdom and I'm not exactly committing to a like exact schedule for this because mm-hmm. I know it'll, it'll literally kill me. So even though I know it's going to, you know, hurt uh, numbers or whatever, I'm going to go more the sort of Gruber route and try and do consistent episodes, but uh, it's not exactly going to be regular. And also like sometimes I might want to do, you know, two episodes in a week or whatever, because it's kind of around the launch of things. Yeah. And so that's, what's going to sort of drive the show, which I think that also will help me a little bit because there's a natural uh, income stream of stuff. If I can get this to be a thing that people want to come on and talk about their app that came out, then presumably there will be, some group of people that will be sort of always releasing apps all the time that I can sort of work with and pluck from. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so Inquisitive, before it became like I I went with like three different routes for that show. Like the last one was talking about people's favorite albums. Before that, I did like a followed the serial train, right? And created like a more heavily produced show which looked at stories with guests interspersed as opposed to interviews before that when it was inquisitive and before that when it was a show called command space which was on five by five that was a lot of what i did was uh bringing on people who just done something interesting to talk about because i always liked the idea of something that was almost like a late night talk show where you would get the person on their press round yeah yeah like some of my favorite episodes was every time Marco did something, I would convince him to come on the show. So like the episodes that I did with him kind of at the launch of, of the magazine, the launch of Overcast, like they're some of my favorite episodes because we had very good conversations about that kind of stuff. But that was like something that I would do if I would see something, see somebody do something interesting. I would try to get them on. So, and and I like that. I think so. I'm I'm happy that you're doing that. You're almost taking the mantle from me now. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. It was too much for uh, Mike Hurley. So now, (laughs) yeah. Can can you do? Can you hack it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, and like so, this first week is because I'm recording these so far. Some of these way far ahead of schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. It's mostly people who've 
who are known sort of in this community and have released things in the past. Um, but the people I already have like set up in the wings, they're like recent app releases. And that's the one that's really what I imagine driving this show generally is, is those conversations because also those people are the ones that are the most kind of excited to talk because mm-hmm. they just like emerged from this, uh, painful, you know, war experience of, of building a thing and they've released it. And whether it went good or bad, I think people just, it's, I don't know, maybe this is just me because I've been podcasting for a little while, but it's very cathartic to get to like talk to people who want to listen to you talk about a thing that you've been overly invested in for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I'm imagining those would be interesting episodes, but I haven't gotten to them yet. So we'll see. (laughs) So uh, moving on from podcasts themselves, let's talk about sort of the the second big like launch thing that you did, which is launching an entire podcast network. You sort of touched on it earlier that you did a sort of one week out pre-release uh, hype kind of thing. Did you do any mm-hmm. other marketing with this or was it was that whole like leading up week uh, from when you announced it to when it actually launched? Were you doing a bunch of stuff? No. Um, so I had left five by five and not said what I was doing and said that I would be back in a month, right? Like, you'll see. And people could assume what I was going to be doing. Um, and in the background, me and Stephen have been working on Relay FM for a while and we were getting the last pieces in place and then we announced like a week before. So people that were following my work were expecting something anyway, um, at that point. So we were able to capture people up at that point. And also by then we had, uh, developed a lot of contacts and a lot of people who were, you know, very successful in our industry. A lot of those people now have shows on Relay FM, but they were also invested in what we were going to be doing. So when we announced Relay FM, it caused waves within our industry. So, you know, like the technology industry mostly focused on Apple and app developers and that kind of stuff, right? The exact audience that you're talking to, that we're talking to right now, you know, that that kind of corner of the internet. So we kind of just played it right, you know. Um, it and Honestly, that was mostly just luck and intuition as to the way that we felt we could do it. There was no, there was no data, no knowledge in picking that thing way of doing things it was just what we felt was the right way to do it based upon what we had available to us from a technical perspective and what we felt was the best way to go for it um and that was that was just what we did outside of that you know it was kind of just talking on twitter and then hoping that people would share the news and it it worked it worked well enough for us at the time and you sort of uh this was 2015 is that right yes so this was like ATP was already kind of a, a big show at that no, point. No, twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Because we just we just celebrated five years last year. Oh yeah, duh. Okay. Oh no, you well, know I said of. yes. So like <laughs> you know, I think it's worse for me, really. True. Although I'm the one that's supposed to have uh, done some prep for this, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't do any research, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so. What I was thinking of, though, and what date I had looked on on my notes that I definitely did do, uh, was 2015, which I thought this was like within the first year of of you launching Relay. You had a sort of giant mega expansion where you brought on a couple new shows with some really big names like CGP Grey, you and him did Cortex. Mm-hmm. And then I think the same time was when John Syracuse and Merlin Mann started Reconcilable Differences. Same day. Same day, yeah. Same day. Yeah, that's that's what I want to talk about because I've heard this referenced uh, on multiple podcasts you do before, but like that couldn't have been 
like an accident, right? Like you had to sort of, there was some sort of like plan there. And I'm curious how that went as far as did pulling a bunch of big names in at the same time, do something for the rest of your shows? Did it do something for the, for Relay FM as a whole or like, what was that kind of process like? So there were, there were a couple of uh, events that occurred over kind of the beginnings of our company that got us to that point when I think about legitimacy. So one of the very, very early moments was when Jason Snell had left Macworld and came on board with bringing Clockwise over and starting Upgrade with me. That that was like a... We were very young at that point. We were like a few weeks old when, when Jason came to me to talk about that. Like me and Jason had become friends over the years and he came to us with that idea. That was one point. Uh, then when we started Rocket with Brianna Wu, Christina Warren and Simone de Rochefort, like that was like another moment of like, this is another big show like with a lot of really interesting people and it was like another stamp for us. And we had many shows launching, but but that day was a very big day because we were able to speak to multiple audiences, right? So we had CGP Grey's audience, which had been built up over Hello Internet and his YouTube channel. We had John Syracuse's audience, which had been built by Hypercritical and Merlin Mann from just like from all the podcasts that everybody loves, right? Like Back to Work and Mac Break Weekly and more, right? Like the work that he was doing at the time, you know, Merlin is one of everybody's favorite podcasters for good reason. It was a bit of luck and then a bit of smarts for how that day happened. And I frequently reference it as one of my very favorite days in our company history because it felt really good to do because we were still pretty young at that point, right? Less than a year old when those shows launched. I think they started in June of 2015. So we weren't even a year old at that point. And it was purely because we had two shows that we were working on at the same time. So me and Gray had agreed to work together on Cortex. And while we were working on that, Merlin and John came to me to us and said, like, we're working on an idea. Do you want to know about it? And then once we had these two shows kind of working on in parallel, I don't remember who it was, but I believe it was me. But I guess because it was a good idea, I'll just assume it was me. <laughs> like, well, I came up with that one. Uh, was just like, why don't we launch these at the same time and benefit from everybody right so there were a, a selection of like disparate audiences at that point right like so we had those kind of like three audiences if we're all sharing the news of these two new shows and we called them our summer pilots and we did something kind of interesting with those where we each of those shows we did 10 uh they, they were like each like we were going to do 10 episodes and we did them weekly for the first little time even though they were supposed to be fortnightly shows but that was that was just kind of like a, a thing we've not actually repeated that since but i think it did work for those shows um and also for like tying them together a little bit initially um, which I think helped a little bit of cross-pollination between the two. Um, I'm really proud of that. Like, I think that it worked really well for us and was one of the more successful like podcast launch days that we ever had because we had people with large followings, but I think we also, we also did things smartly, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from experience, that's what pulled me in. Yeah, I'm not surprised. If you were listening to Hello Internet, right? Like, I think we were able to to capture a lot of that, a lot of people there as well, you know? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because, like, I only really knew CGP Grey from the YouTube uh, channel. And even then, it wasn't like I was a follower. Like, I didn't right. really know about the Reddit or anything like that. Um, 
but that made enough noise and maybe i did follow him on twitter i'm I'm not sure but somehow that whole launch made enough noise that that was where i first heard of you guys yeah and i didn't actually listen to cortex right away i but like that's what made me think oh there's like podcasts in this arena because to me podcasts were npr shows and uh how stuff works Mm -hmm. and it was like oh there's this whole world and that made so much noise that it sort of brought me into that world a little bit. Yeah. And then I eventually backslid through Cortex into sort of this whole huge tech thing, which now is like my whole side uh, hustle world now. So it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy, like hearing you talk about that, thinking about I'm one of those people that you sort of, uh, because you hit a whole bunch of completely different market segments all at once, it sort of amplified everything yeah i think to a level where it reached even more people than it would have separately i think yeah and since then like we've had a few instances where we've launched two shows on the same day so liftoff and top four were launched on the same day uh remaster and canvas were launched on the same day and uh there was i think originality was launched on the same day as I'm clicking for our blog now. Oh, Roboism. Oh, yeah. But so, like, I think that for all of those shows, they were helped by that. But the reconcilable differences in Cortex one, I think, was the most successful because the audiences of the people involved uh, were larger. So we were just able to get to more people that day. You know, the combined audience of Merlin, John Syracuse, and CGP Grey were all very large. So we were able to cover a much wider area by using their audience, like they used their channels to promote to their audiences about these pro- these shows existing. So I think that, that really helped. Um. So so now, like you guys have scaled back uh, your growth, which makes sense because it's crazy how many shows you have, as we've already established. Yes. So how do you go about uh, like bringing new shows out now? Um, these days, uh, a, a kind of a new show has to hit one of, if not more than one, kind of like marker for us. So, like, is this person interesting? Do they fit with the type of shows that we do, or does the content of the show fit with the type of stuff that we do? You know, like we have kind of like three pillars: creativity, curiosity, and obsession. Uh, they're the kind of the three areas that we we fit to. Um, does this show make sense from a business perspective? You know, like there are types of shows that we've done in the past that now we feel won't work for us um, for myriads of reasons that is too, too much to go into. But we can at that point either that that isn't necessarily like a death knell of a, of a show idea if some of the other conditions are met, but it's one that we'll seriously pause on and maybe try and help somebody rework an idea based on that. Um, one of the bigger things, you know, like, you know, we can't deny this. If somebody has a large audience, it makes a significant reason for us to want to work with them, especially if that audience is out, is like maybe adjacent to what we're doing. Cause we may help pick up people to bring them into the whole product offering that we have now right so and then you know it's just like does it feel right is this do we feel like this show is going to be good for us and 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 for the individual involved right there are a lot of times where somebody will pitch a show to us it's like it's not that this show isn't necessarily good for us we think it might not be good for you why don't we help you come up with something that we think will work better you know like we've worked with people like that in those ways in the past yeah like if they wanted to do a weekly interview podcast (laughs) <laughs> I might suggest to somebody that they do a fortnightly yeah. interview podcast. <laughs> yeah, so it's little things like that where we'll try and help tweak with somebody. Um, but we are just 
we are less likely to take chances now. Um, that there kind of has to be a known element where there might not have been in the past. And that can be a person or a, a general idea. And that is purely because we're stretched very thin in, in the attention and resources we can provide. And I don't want us to bring in people and not be able to help them in the ways that they need to be helped. That makes sense. And feel free to like call a pass on this, but Mm. Uh, one thing in tech is diversity is a thing that like we've struggled with just as an industry uh, very intentionally early on. And now I feel like we're trying to sort of dig ourselves out of a hole that maybe we, we set ourselves in. And since you guys cover technology and engineering and stuff a lot, um, that's a thing I assume that you guys sort of struggle with too. Is that is that a thing that you guys think about whenever you're bringing on a new show or? Yep. 100%. We have turned down shows because we feel that they require more diverse host based. Like, you know, people may come to us and like, oh, we're going to want to do a show about technology and it's three guys. And it's like, you need to rethink that. And and because we, we, we try our best to diversify in shows, but what we're really trying to do in general is to diversify in our overall host offering. Right. So mm, that makes sense. Because it can be trickier to, like, if there's two people on the show that, that you, you have them both be diverse, which might not work that way. It depends on who the people are, where they're coming from. Um, but we try our best to work with people that come to us to try and diversify who they are. You know, like, can we include people from different backgrounds in some way? But what we are also trying to do is balance our overall hosts um we are primarily working and have been working um to diversify in gender um but we're looking at other areas there as well because you know just the the most pressing issue in our community and over the last few years has been gender diversity so we have focused primarily there um for the time being and we're trying to like we're still trying to be better in many other areas, but that's where we put our focus. So, yeah, we are always doing our best to balance, and sometimes we'll either turn shows down or we'll hold show launches until we feel like we can balance it better because we don't ever want the balance to sway too much. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, the last, uh, like major launch thing that i kind of want to talk about is cortexmerch.com your dot com dot com <laughs> your venture mm -hmm. into uh making physical goods and stuff and we'll kind of touch on this briefly because for the most part you're kind of talking through this whole process on your show cortex so if mm -hmm. any of you guys find this interesting and <laughs> you don't already listen to cortex which is probably like two of you uh definitely go listen to cortex because this is something that they're they're talking through pretty well in there but I'm I'm really interested in in this whole thing because you're similar to me in that you've done a variety of things uh, like creative works and everything like that, but it's all generally been digital goods. And you've you've done like merch, you know, for podcasts and stuff like that. So you've done hoodies and pens and stuff like that. But with Cortex merch uh, or Cortex brand, is that what the company's called? 
Yeah, so this Cortex Merch, the idea of that website existed before Cortex Brand did. The company is called Cortex Brand, but you know our primary website is CortexMerch.com, but we do also have CortexBrand.com, which goes to the same place. Ah, that makes sense. Um, but, but Cortex Brand is the company's name. But now you've got so much marketing into Cortex Merch dot com that just you know any <laughs> any cortex followed by any word was will eventually try and take them all yeah yeah there you go but uh but now you guys have moved into making a uh, journal and this kind of mm-hmm. goes you're calling it the theme journal yeah and i we won't get too in deep into what that actually means again go listen to cortex or go to cortexmerch.com to, to look at that or go to the theme system.com and read Ooh, about it man cortex theme system.com as well uh, no i don't have that one nope. <laughs> gosh darn it now i need to go get it yeah uh, but you know uh, we okay so we from a branding perspective we are a little bit all over the place but that's just kind of like where it has landed as we have honed in on a few different things so cortex brand the idea of cortex brand is like a company that we created with the idea that we would create products they could be physical digital we would just wanted to take in ideas from people see what they wanted to make but the reason we created the company was because we had this idea for uh making a journal based around another idea that that me and gray have worked on over the last few years called yearly themes and and the theme system journal was going to be one of the offerings that cortex brand had but the theme system journal has taken off in ways that we didn't expect. So it has monopolized all of the time that we have right now to put into Cortex brand as a company. Now, there are other things that we have done, like we have created much. There's like a line of products called the subtlety and like the subtle line of products, which is like a very different style of, of podcast merchandise, which was created to look like clothing would not look like podcast merchandise, which I make a lot of that stuff. Cortex has like a t-shirt of a big logo on it. And like, I love those and I wear those types of things at home all the time, but I wanted to make something that had like embroidery on it. And it was a little bit different. It's a little bit more expensive because it's a hard thing to make that kind of thing. Um, so there, so the, between the subtlety and sweater and the theme system journal, they are the products created by Cortex brand. And you also have just like an amazing logo for that type of thing. Yeah, it, this was one of the reasons. We kind of realized that the Cortex logo, which is this outline of a brain, just looks cool. Yeah. And in and, and this was like, I now put this thinking into other stuff that I'm working on. Like when coming up with the initial artwork for the show, can it be more than just the artwork for the show in the future? Does it have an, a recognizable element? And this is something that I've learned from trying to turn a podcast into a brand, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of where I am. But I mean, it it definitely makes sense. Even just scrolling through, through the website right now, it's like mm-hmm. there's this consistent theme uh, haha. And like <laughs> on your, on your theme journal, it's just sort of lightly like stamped into the, the front of the journal. And that stamping is not like, well, <laughs> we joke about it being called deep bossing. It is the deepest embossing I've ever come across, which is awesome. Uh, we love it. But like that, it's about, you know, like this is, this is what it takes to build a brand, right? Creating uh, iconography that is instantly recognizable. And that's what we're trying do with the cortex logo which is a difficult thing to do but it is distinct enough 
that it works i think yeah even as like a light outline with no color or anything like that it's instantly recognizable which yeah and this is because of the amazing work of our designer simon like this is what he is great at um and was able to like before we even ever thought about how can we create something that's iconic like he did it um which is you know which is what he's great at. Yeah. Yes. He is amazing. <laughs> As someone mm-hmm. who's copied a lot of his uh, design <laughs> elements yep. for uh, for making all my little custom icons for Dark Noise, every time I zoom in on one of those, I'm like, holy crap, man. Like, I don't... It's, like, frustrating. I mean, I'm not a designer, so, you know, I'm already... I've already got... Uh, I'm already behind a little bit, but there's so many nice little details that, yeah, all of the stuff he does is kind of amazing to me. Yeah. I, I will, Like, I do really love that we have... Simon created an artwork style for us that I now see referenced in other places. Like, I actually consider that to be quite a incredible thing. Like, I see other podcasts that look a little bit like the way that, that he's created our artwork style, and it, it kind of is a warm feeling to me of, like, people look to it, and, they, you know, they find it inspirational and, and i actually can you know like imitations the sincerest form of flattery type of thing like i actually genuinely feel that with our artwork and and i love that we've been able to create something that people look to as like a almost like a standard for them i think that's kind of awesome oh yeah like way before i knew like about you guys as like a group of people or knew who simon was or anything relay was uh this sort of consistent branding thing that I frequently would use when trying to design something Mm -hmm. just like I recognize again, this is before like, you know, I'd listen to cortex, but that was it. I recognize pretty quickly that there was like a system in place for how he does all the icons for your podcasts with Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, main logo, the thing in the corner, your text with a little subheading and Everything that I do whenever I'm starting something, I kind of think in those terms. Like, all right, I draw everything in sort of blocks. Like, what is the general shape of this? And then you sort of slowly work your way down in terms of complexity. And I feel like yep. when I see somehow, because his artwork is like simple on its, on the surface, but every time I like see one of his things, I recognize that it's his. Even if it's like a random YouTube channel or something, I'll be like, I bet this is Forgotten Towels. He has an in an incredible style which is everything is different but there is something tangible that brings them all together which is kind of unbelievable like i don't know how he does it but we are very lucky to be able to work with him like our all of our artwork is built around like a grid that he created like this is the grid of which it's all designed to and over time we have bent that a little you know like we've become a little bit more ambitious or daring with the artwork um but they still fit to a basic idea that hasn't changed which i kind of love it's kind of like the idea of uh like you build the rules and then once you have the rules set in stone you can start breaking them but you can't really break the rules until they're there yeah rules are made to be broken right but yeah you need them first right and so yeah, and we were just like super lucky to find Simon. Like Simon was a listener to some of my shows and um had made like fan art. And when we were coming to the point that we were working on 
trying to think about who would we have as a designer. Like I just contacted him and was like, this is what we're doing. Do you want to be involved in this? And fun fact, he came up with the name Relay FM. Oh, really? Yeah, we were really struggling. It was a terrible time for everybody. Uh, me and Stephen <laughs> were fighting for like three days Naming trying to come up worst. with a name. We had one name, which was Neon, which was we loved, but was taken. Neon FM was taken. Mm. And in hindsight, was, I think, a good thing because it would have really boxed our artwork into one idea. Yeah. Right? Everything would have had to be Neon. And I don't think that that would have worked for us. Like, we still use that name. Uh, like, um, our CMS system is called Neon uh, because it's a wonderful name that me and Stephen both like. But I think in hindsight, having a, a name that didn't create an artwork style was probably for the best. Yeah, it would have fit with uh, WWDC last year. It would have almost too much. <laughs> for one year, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm like running low on time on you, so sorry about that. But with, with Cortex merch, like I said, definitely go listen to the Cortex uh, podcast if you want more information on that. But I am really curious just to, to round this out, like what's kind of one of the big things with doing that versus your digital work that's really thrown you off like you already mentioned that this one project has sort of sucked all of your time away is that something that is that something that happens to you often with like digital efforts as well or does that feel something uniquely you know uh physical related the biggest frustration (laughs) this is here i got that physical goods i can't control Mm. like digital goods i can control it i'm making it I can control exactly how it works. With physical goods, things happen that are outside of my control. Like with creating a podcast, it's not going to get stuck in customs. (laughs) Yet. Right? But physical products do, or delivery dates change. There are so many areas of which things can go wrong that simply do not exist in, in digital goods. Um, and people would probably then say, well, why don't you make digital goods? But like the point is I want to make physical products. Like it is a, it is a passion of mine. It's something I've always wanted to do. And I feel and like once you have made digital things for so long, you know, being able to create something that you can hold has a very intense feeling to it. You know, like sometimes I, pick, I, I I journal every day and sometimes I pick up my theme system journal. It's like, I created this idea. This is my idea and I made this happen, right? And that is a very powerful thing, which is why I want to keep doing it because I love doing it and I think that there can be interesting avenues for me into my future for doing this stuff. But it is so much more complex and there are so many more dependencies and it takes a completely different way of thinking. Like, I am... V- often being surprised at how much of what I have learned I have to leave at the door because it does not apply when it comes to physical goods. It just doesn't. And and it is every time we have a release of our product, I am learning brand new things. Like, you know, even just like, how do we keep this thing in stock? Like, how do we order too much? Do we order too little? What hap- Like, what happens to it during the production? But like, I'm learning so much every single time. I've learned more about this than I've learned about anything in the space of time that I've been doing it, right? Like the amount that I have had to go through over the last six months to get this product to where it is. Well, even that's just since we released it over the last year and a half since we came up with the idea. It's wild, like the amount of things that I've had to learn and the lessons, good and bad, that I've learned has been kind of 
mind-boggling in a way that digital goods just aren't because there's nothing to stop you in just doing it. So you start way sooner, you know, from idea to publication is way quicker. Um, you know, like when we first came up with the idea, I wanted to have the product out in like four or five months from when we had the idea. And we just, it's impossible to do that. Like it just, we could not do that. There was no way we could have done it because it's so hard to get this stuff up and running. Which like, if you had asked me that, you know, before listening, I four or five months seems like a reasonable amount of time to get yeah. a book where you assume that there's already kind of an industry sort of around this concept. You would have thought that would be something that you could do, but... I thought that once we had the design done, like I just figured it would be no problem, right? You've got the design made, now just print it. But like, no, companies say no to you, <laughs> yeah. which is just like the wild. Like, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that. Like, you know, you're saying to somebody, right, you have a production line. I know you can make this. Will you make it? And we will pay you. And they don't want even quote you. And it's like, it's just like, it was, that wasn't, well, not what I expected would happen. Um, you know, now, now I understand a little bit more about the industry. I understand it more, but at the time it was just like, but I'm offering to pay you. Like, this is a goods exchange, no? But no, they, these companies are picky in the contracts that they take in the same way that we are picky with the shows that we will launch, right? Like, right. It's a relationship. It's all about, exactly. And do you, do you have faith in this idea? Like, do you think that printing 200 of these now will lead to you printing 2000 of them later and if you don't think that that's the case then don't take the then don't take it. So that's why that's why for a lot of this stuff you have to go to Asia because they're more likely to do it and that was where we 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 ultimately had no choice uh, at the time so that was why that's why our notebooks are made in China because we were trying with American companies and getting turned down. So <laughs> well, it's crazy to me too, that like success, too much success can lead to failure in a way with like hard goods. Like if this podcast, you know, somehow massively exceeds expectations and I'm getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads in the first week, that's pretty much all positive. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're making physical things, and there's hundreds of thousands of people uh, trying to buy a thing that you made and you only made a thousand or 400 or whatever, then yep. like you're leaving thousands of people uh, upset and trying to get those numbers right and everything. Or, or and if you're wrong in the other direction, you're not just, it's not just your ego that's hurt. It's you have yep. a huge amount of stock that you just paid for and have to store. Well, that's it, right? When we, when we went for that second printing and decided that we were going to order 2000 of them, like, that's money I have to pay. I have to pay for those to be made, right? Right. It's not a $10 a month podcast uh, hosting cost. It's very different, right? Like we were taking on financial risk and continue to do so. Like, uh, you know, trying to work out like how I'm balancing these orders is so tricky because I don't know how fast they're going to sell. And it's... Every time we make an order, we are committing to an amount of money that we have to pay. And it's that is a very, very different prospect than releasing a digital good. Very different. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really excited to uh, keep listening to you guys work on that. I find that whole process extremely interesting. And it's 
I too am a person who has always thought that would be something interesting to try and do, but I'm mm-hmm. at least at this point way too risk averse to ever attempt something like that. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am I am going to let you go. But before I do, there's one question mm-hmm. we ask everybody at the end of the show, and that is, what is a person or people out there that has inspired you? Uh, in your creative fields, endeavors, whatever that you'd recommend other people check out. I mean, I'm uh, the person that I'm going to say for this. I can't imagine that there are many uh, people listening to the show that do not consume their content already. And it's Marquez Brownlee, who is you, who goes by the YouTuber is MKBHD. That's his like his channel name, his social name. What I like about Marquez is the way that he talks about products like technology everything's so positive with him yes. you know like he does the best he can to like really focus on why he loves technology and what about these products are fun for him and you watch his videos and you come away with a good feeling because it's like this person really went into it and these these the production quality is so good and he speaks with such a great authoritative voice that I really look up to him and what he has been able to build and I find him a, a great inspiration for me over the last few years of like who how I want to be seen um, so like he is someone that I, I really really look up to yeah and his his new podcast waveform is excellent yeah it it took some time to get off the ground yeah but they are really finding their stride now and I like genuinely look whenever i see an episode now it goes straight to the top of my queue like i feel like that they're really finding the link between the youtube channel and the the podcast like if you've never listened to the show before i recommend the episode where they talk about the smartphone of the year awards that they do on the channel as well which is also just a great video and like it's i think a super important part of the phone industry now like what mkbhd says is the best phone of the year like people should pay attention to that um and i and i think people are which i think is really cool uh but that he did a podcast where he went into more depth on each category and spoke about like the the phones that people suggested this should have won this should have won so it's like a real nice compliment to the video um and i really like that style and then i think the waveform podcast is is doing a good job but i think he's he referenced this in another video like that the two are going to become more entwined as time goes on so i think it's really it's a good show and like but just everything he does i like everything he does you know like a new mkbhd video drops and i am like watch it immediately like the guy is amazing <laughs> like i have such respect for him and he's built a really good team around him too it seems like yeah yeah and i'm he's like always sending out these pictures of this like massive office space that he's building like i have a lot of respect for that guy all right well um i'm gonna let you go thank you thank you so much for doing this this was really exciting and it's really weird to uh to feel like i'm listening to a podcast that i normally listen to but i get to talk back i knew you were gonna say that everyone says that did you get the moment i've had this right like i've had this when i've interviewed people like someone will be talking and i forgot that i had to say anything uh well i think i've heard you reference that enough times that i was being very conscious about it uh and also i should say i'm one of the weirdos who listens to podcasts at uh like faster speeds with the smart uh, skipping or whatever mm-hmm. so i i listen to the most recent connected at normal speed just to just to prepare myself because yep i've made the mistake before uh on a different interview where the first time i listened to somebody it like it took me a while to get used to the fact that they sound like they're talking through molasses or something uh <laughs> it's, a, it's a very weird uh 20th century 
phenomenon, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. but seriously, thank you. This was this was a lot of fun, and I at least learned a bunch. Absolute pleasure. Um, and I will ask where can people find you, even though I'm sure everybody already knows, but. Uh, I would say go to Relay FM, uh, relay.fm slash shows and find a podcast there. It doesn't, I don't have to be on it, but they're all great. So go pick one that, that suits your, your desires. There is definitely a show there for you. Even if you listen to some already, I would bet that there is something that would tickle your fancy that maybe you haven't come across yet. But I will warn you, if if you start uh, if you start that train where you, you jump over to another one in Relay, you'll find yourself with way more podcasts than you have time for. And then you'll start listening to people at super speed just so you can get more into your commute. Because mm-hmm. it really is like you've done a good job at uh, bridging that connection where you can sort of find another show with a host you like or another topic that you think you'll like. And then you end up subscribed to a whole bunch of those shows. So very, very good stuff. Thank you so much for listening. This wraps up launch week, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Going forward, the plan is for the show to be every other week. If you enjoy the show so far, please leave me a review or rating in iTunes, or in whatever podcast of choice you have. That really helps us out. If you'd like to get in touch, you can reach me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C, or the show at launchedfm. And you can talk about each episode on our dedicated subreddit at slash r slash launchedfm. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all in two weeks.